Amen. All right, check it out. It was your average morning with people heading off to another hectic day at work in this city that never sleeps. But little do these people know, for many of them, it was soon to become their last day alive. At 8.45 that very morning, a passenger jet crashed into the north tower of this business high-rise, tearing a gaping hole in the building and setting it on fire. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, precisely 18 minutes later, a second airliner crashed into the twin south tower, causing a devastating explosion. But even for the fortunate few who survived the explosion and the flames, their fate wasn't much better because the unthinkable became reality. The buildings were not just on fire, they began to fall. And when the dust had finally settled, the damage was assessed. The once thriving trade center had become a total wasteland, listen, that required 98,000 truckloads just to remove the debris. And the loss of life was absolutely heartbreaking with the lives of almost 4,000 Americans being wiped out just like that. And it's said that before he went to sleep, the president at that time wrote in his diary, the Pearl Harbor of the 21st century just took place today. The year was 2001. The city was New York. The disaster, of course, was what? 9-11. Now, how many guys know about 9-11? Okay, yeah, I think we all do. And that's a whole other story about the whole issue of that whole event and whatever. But that's not my point. My point is this. With all due respect to those who lost their lives at 9-11, what if I were to tell you I know of a disaster that made 9-11 look like a backyard scuffle? Okay, and folks, what if I were to tell you that this disaster didn't just occur at one place at one city at one time, but it's going on right now today all over the world at the same time, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Folks, once again, we are talking about the satanic war on the Christian, and the facts are this, folks, we Christians, we don't battle here and there once in a while, once in a blue moon. Are you kidding me? Believe it or not, we go to war every single day. Why? Because the moment you got saved, whether you feel it, see it, believe it or not, you entered into a spiritual war against a real, live, actual demonic host whose sole purpose every day is to get out there to mess you up, extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ, and destroy your walk with him if they can, okay? And so in order for you and I to stop getting beat up and duped all over the place with this spiritual warfare that's really going on, we're going to continue in our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, again, by way of recap, we've already seen if you're going to win a war, it's a common sense thing. What do you got to do? What's the first thing? Know who your enemy is. We dealt with that. The second thing we need to know is what your enemy is like. What is their character, right? The third thing we saw is the tactic of your enemy. What angles are they going to come in? What's their goal? Why are you in a war in the first place? How are they going to come at us, okay? And then the last time we saw the fourth thing we need to know about our enemy is the destruction of our enemy. The destruction of your enemy. Because that's what's going to happen when you don't take this serious. If you take this in and you put your head back in the sand, guess what? They've won. They're going to come after you and they're going to bring destruction. That's what they're all about. And last time we saw that first destruction is they're going to come and they're going to, you know, okay, he couldn't stop you from getting saved, right? But then he'll just move to plan B, okay? And plan B is to get you to do anything and everything but become a threat to him. Become a mature Christian. And last time we saw that first way, he tricks you into becoming a casual Christian, right? Just so casual, right? I mean, you start out on fire. Woo! It's just casual now. You're just kind of going through the motions. And what we saw is the devil would trick you and I into weakening ourselves, number one, weakening the church, number two, weakening actually the gospel, the effectiveness, because are you even preaching the gospel? And we saw that happens, believe it or not, when you are casual in your attendance and casual in your witness. Nothing about legalism at all. It's just common sense. We need each other. Turn to somebody and say that. I need you, man. Right? Now, husbands and wives, I know if you got in an argument on the way to church services, right? It's going to be tough, but do it anyway. Maybe that'll be the first part of healing. But anyway, right? I need you, man, right? And I didn't get to share this last week, but did you guys know? Did you guys know? This is a, let, me, let me see if I can encapsulate last week's study. Did you guys know that contrary to popular opinion, that going to the Church of St. Mattress with Pastor I.B. Snoozen of the Bedside Sheets Assembly is a one-way ticket to getting devoured? It really is, folks. It's not about legalism. It's all the devil's trick to get you casual, to get you unplugged so you don't learn and you don't benefit from being a part of the herd, the body of Christ. Why? Because he wants you alone. He wants you out there all by yourself. So he can stomp on you. Okay? But that's just the first one that he does. The second destruction, he comes in. He gets you to be a cultural Christian. Huh? I mean, you start out in love with Jesus, turning away from the things of this world, but hey, that's for... You know, after a while, she kind of started going back in the world, and that means more. That wouldn't happen, would it? Happens all the time. In fact, Jesus confronted those people in our opening text. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9. Let's take a look at what's going on there. Okay. Luke chapter 9. And uh, let's see what Jesus had to confront with these people. And uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay. Chapter 9. 
And uh, let's take a look at what he has to share uh, with you and I today. But here's what it is. The cost of following Jesus. Because again, as we all know, that when you become a Christian, everything's great. You never go through hard times. It's just awesome. It's easy peasy, whatever that means. Uh, all the way to get to heaven. No, that's a lie. Okay, it's going to cost you something. Consider the cost. And that's a whole nother parable. But listen to what these people say. Jesus simply gives them a simple command, just like each one of us. Hey, come, follow me. And listen to what these people, you tell me where their hearts really were as we stand and read God's holy word. It says this, now, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, Jesus, listen to this bold statement, I will follow you wherever you go. Yeah, really? Jesus sees the heart. And listen to what he says to this guy. He knows what's going on. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air, they got nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, you got no guarantees. It ain't going to be comfortable right? Doesn't come with a stock option, none of that stuff. You ain't got no guarantees, and you better be prepared for that, right? Number two, he said to another man, he says, follow me. And what's this guy say? Um, Lord, um, first, um, uh, let me go and bury my father. Now, you need, to what's going, uh, you need to know what's going on there culturally. Basically, he wanted his dad to die because when the parents die, in uh, some cases, guess what? You inherit a lot of Money. So basically, he wanted to wait until he got a lot of money. He got financially secure before he could risk, wink, wink, and follow Jesus. We don't do that, do we? we put all these things out. We got to, no, I got to do this first before I can really get serious. Ooh, we're starting to get convicting. And then he goes to the next guy. And Jesus said, hey, first of all, to respond to that guy, no, 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 no. Here's what you do. You let the dead bury their own dead, but you, you go now proclaim the kingdom of God. And still to another, he said, I will follow you, Lord. But um, first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. You know, those relationships. I got to tie up loose ends. And, I get, mm. and Jesus said, listen to this rebuke. No one, how many? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Wow. You may be seated if you can. That's an intense text there, man. Uh, Jesus, he doesn't even hesitate. And I love this, man. And I, I don't know. If, do you guys appreciate the exclamation points? I love that, right? And with our Lord, I mean, this is serious stuff, right? And he doesn't even hesitate to expose the lame excuses, because that's what they are, that people come up with for why, oh, I, I, I know I should follow you. You said to follow you, but... I, I, all these lame excuses to why they couldn't follow him like they should. And, and that's the game we play. Isn't it? Oh, it sounds rational. It sounds like it's an important thing to do, but it's not, right? It showed, listen, their hearts were really not devoted to him. Oh, you made that statement, but he saw your heart. They're, listen, what was the problem there in every one of those cases? Their hearts were still devoted to things or something in this world. And so Jesus lays on the line. He says, listen to this. That kind of worship is completely unacceptable to him. You realize that? One foot in the world, one foot you're saying you're following him, that is completely unacceptable to him. In fact, he even says, you are not fit to serve in his kingdom, to be his disciple, he will say elsewhere. That's serious stuff. Now, how do you know that that happened to you? Because these people, they're saying, oh, I follow Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they throw out all these excuses. Well, let's deal with that today. The first sign to indicate it's spiritual warfare, Christian. You can start out great. It's not just important how you start. It's important how you finish. You need to finish strong. You need to finish just as on fire when you first started. But that's what the enemy does. And he comes in. The first sign you're turning into one of these people in this text, a cultural Christian, I call it, is when you long for created things more than your creator. And tell me this is not a seduction from our world. You see, the first definition for the word cultural, listen, means this, to have an acquired taste for the material things of this world. To have an acquired taste for the material things of the world. And this is one of the first things this devil does to keep us from becoming a mighty army. He throws out the bait right after you get saved. And he says, hey, listen, okay, come on, come on. All right, so you're studying the Bible. You're praying. You're hanging out with the people of God. I get that. It's new. It's all that's, that's cool. Okay, okay. But come on, man. Is, aren't you bored yet? Wouldn't you want to do something more, more, more fun than that? Don't you want to you know, have some entertainment once in a while? You know, loosen up a little bit? I mean, don't you want to go buy something nice for yourself? I mean, you've been working. You deserve a break today. But a break from what? Jesus? What's better than Jesus? And you might think, hey, listen, a cultural taste for things, it's no big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody, does it? Wrong. That's a lie from the pit of hell because the devil knows, listen, a cultural taste leads to catastrophes. And the first catastrophe is it, it will destroy your taste for the things of God. 
Okay? Why in the world we read the book of Acts? We say, oh, the early church, look at what happened. These amazing miracles and people getting saved by the scores. Thousands in one day. It's just amazing. Why? Well, look what they were doing. They weren't off partying with this world. They were hanging out with each other. Let's take a look at that classic text. Just one of them. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 43. They were what? Once in a while, when it fit with their calendar. Oh, I'm sorry. They were what? They were, you know, after the football game. Uh-oh, he's going meddling. Right? No, <laughs> no, they were what? They were continually. Notice the word. That's the verb tense in there. Continually. Not just once in a while. Not when it was a convenient. They were continually devoting themselves to what? Number one, the apostles teaching the word of God. And to what? Number two, fellowship, hanging out with the other Christians. Number three, breaking the bread and what? And the prayer. Now, you do that, Christians, that's just basic Christianity. You continually do that. You devote yourself to that. And you do it together as a group. Watch what happens. Everyone, whoo, kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. In other words, man, this is awesome. Remember that when you first got to say, Wow. Why? Because guess what? Guess what you naturally did when you first got saved? Exactly what happened with the early church. Daily, devoted, continually. Nobody had to twist your arm. Nobody had to pull your teeth. You were in the word of God. You were praying with God. You, you longed to hang out with the people of God. And guess what? The devil knows this. He knows this, folks. He's not dumb. And so here's what he does, right? He knows it's these daily spiritual exercises that give us Christians the power we need in our walk with God. But since he can't take away our salvation, he can't take away the scriptures, he can't take away our freedom to spend time with God because he's omnipresent and I can pray to him anywhere I am, even in prison. You can't take it away. So he can't take away the spiritual. Listen, so he seduces us with the material. You get the trap. He can't take away the spiritual, so he seduces us with this material thing. And it's such a seductive process that most of the time we don't even know that we turned into like those people. Well, I, I used to follow you, Jesus, but first, let me, I got, I got to take care of this. It's such a seductive process, we don't even realize we turned into a cultural Christian. And so my acid test is this. You want to know if he's got you, he's choking you spiritually? All you got to do is say, hey, what disturbs you in life? really get you riled up and if it ain't the things of god he's got you right let's ask yourself some of those questions what really disturbs you are, are you disturbed at missing a day's work or missing a church service hey are you disturbed your garden's not growing or your church is not growing are you disturbed your newspaper's unread or your bible continues to be unopened are you disturbed you missed your favorite tv program or missed a good bible study are, are you are you disturbed your children man they're late for public school or late for sunday school or even take them to Sunday school? You're, are you disturbed your housework's being neglected or your church work being neglected? Are you disturbed about your inability to keep up with the Joneses or the millions of people in our world who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Are you disturbed? Oh, man, I got scratching my new car. How about that lost soul in hell? Does that disturb you? Folks, ask the question, what really disturbs you? That's your acid test. And it's convicting, just like our opening text. If it ain't the things of God, can I be honest with you? Guess what? God already knows. Folks, we have got a major problem. What really disturbs you? If it's not the things of God, it's really this world. We've got to deal with it. We've been seduced. Guess what? You're a cultural Christian. He got you. He can't take away the spiritual. He seduced you. So I don't know when it happened. But you're more concerned about this world. And all you do is what? You know you shouldn't. You know you should be here. You know you should study. You know you should pray. You know you should witness. But what do you do? What did the people do in our opening text? Lame excuses. It's the exact same thing. What really disturbs you? Okay? Oh, but then it gets even more. See, because see, all, all you got to do is what? Oh, man. Jesus, you convicted me. Your word convicted me. Your spirit's in me. You're convicted me. Oh, man, he got me, man. I got seduced. Okay, here's the good news. All you got to do is what? Hey, just confess it, repent, get back on track. Oh, get, yeah, get back to that sense of awe. And everyone was uh, together in fellowship. And, and it doesn't take long. Just come back. That's all you got to do. Oh, no, 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 no. If excuses don't work, we start blaming other people. As to why we can't follow Jesus like we're supposed to. Right? In fact, did you know some people will actually blame their cultural walk with Jesus on their pastor? Let me give you two examples. Been waiting all week for this. <laughs> I kid you not, one time a pastor had been invited to dinner, and it wasn't me. <laughs> 
at the home of one of the people, uh, the couples in his church. And after he left, the wife actually says to her husband, she goes, I think he stole our spoon. <laughs> and it bothered her for a whole year. Well, a year later, the couple invites the pastor over again for dinner. And unable to resist, the wife goes, Pastor, did you steal our spoon last year? To which the pastor replied, no, not at all. I put it in your Bible. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait to hear this next one. One time a minister, he told his congregation, all right, next week I plan on preaching about the sin of lying. And to help you understand my sermon, I want all of you to read Mark chapter 17. So the following Sunday, he prepared to deliver a sermon, and the minister asked for a show of hands, and he wanted to know how many of the congregants read Mark 17. And every single hand went up. I mean every one of them. And so that's when the minister smiled and said, well, you see, the book of Mark only has 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my sermon online. <laughs> oh, man. Folks, we are lying to ourselves if we think not just offering up lame excuses as if God doesn't know, or even blaming other people, even your pastor, as to why I just can't study the Bible. I ain't got... Are you kidding me? In fact, this pastor is going to expose what I have seen in every church that I've ever pastored over 20 plus years of ministry. You know what's really going on? We love this world more than God. And we put a show on on Sundays. Let's watch this video again. Here's what's really going on every week. Let's take a look. Almost as an afterthought. Oh, that's right. Got to keep up appearances. Got to go through the motions. And yet every week, what will you say? I just, I just ain't got time. I, I, I know I should, but yeah. No, it's because of the... This is really what's going on. We've been seduced. We've been seduced by the evil one. He cannot take away the spiritual. But he'll seduce us with the material. We get so involved with the things of this world. That's really what's going on. Our heart has been stolen. We show up for Sundays the rest of the week. We run after the things of the world week after week after week after week after week. And then all of a sudden, why do I not have any power in my walk with Christ? How come there's no passion? How come I, it's, just, there's, it's just dead? It feels like God's a million miles away. I said it before. I'll say it again. If it feels like God's a million miles away, guess who moved? We did. The world's got us by the throat. <sighs> We've got to wake up, folks. If you love any more book more than the Bible, if you have any more pleasure than prayer, any satisfaction more than the Savior, you better watch out. The enemy's not just after you. He is sucking you dry of spiritual power. And maybe the reason why the American church has its back up against the walls is because we hardly ever study the Bible at all. Maybe the reason why the American church is so powerless is because we are so prayerless. The devil knows that if he can get us to love things more than the things of God, we will be sucked dry by our power. We need to live for God. He'll come in and he will squash us like a bug. He cannot take away our salvation, but he can take away us growing up to becoming a threat to him. 
Okay, that's the first catastrophe. The second catastrophe, when you start becoming a cultural Christian, you got to have a cultural taste for the things of this world. You start going backwards. Is then to destroy this. The other thing, what? It takes what? Time. Not just destroys your taste for the things of God. You ain't got time for God because now you're so wrapped up into this world. But again, let's take a look at this text, Luke chapter 22, 24 through 26. Now, listen to this. What should we do spending our time? You want to do something valuable with your time? What do you do? It's called serve Jesus Christ. Luke 22, 24 through 26. A dispute rose among them, the disciples, as to which of them would be considered the greatest. No, it's Bobby. No, it's Mark. No, it's Ryan. No, it's neither. I'm one of you. It's JJ. No, it's which one is he right and so watch jesus do he has to correct him and he said are you kidding me guys Chrome translation the kings of the gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves the benefactors i've got the title but you're not to be like that no 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 instead the greatest among you should be like the what youngest and the one who rules is like the what the one who serves. In other passages, it's the same teaching over and over again. Repetition increases remembrance, right? Now what? You want to be great? You what? Then step down and be a servant. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He didn't come to be served. He came and served us. Aren't you glad he served us? Amen. He says, you want a great life? What do you do? You do the same thing. The Bible says, Jesus said, if you want to live a life, Christian, with your time, make the most of your time here on earth before we get to heaven, a life that stands out with true significance, you got to get busy serving. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because you have the privilege of laying treasure at his feet when we get there. Amen? As we saw last week, God gives each one of us as Christians supernatural gifts for that very purpose. Now, here's what is cool. When we take the time to use our gifts, which takes time right they're already there you just need the time to do it our service listen is not just service it's something that is eternally listen it doesn't pass away it's eternally valuable because that service unto christ affects people's lives for all eternity saved and unsaved isn't that amazing it's not just you're doing stuff my life is so purposeful because every day i go out and check the mail yes that will stand, no, it won't stand forever, unless you witness to the mailman every time. But we do what we do as Christians because, and it's, it's a side effect. We do it because we love him, not because they have to. But when you do it, what, what is it? It's what you did last forever. Way better than a plaque on the wall. And the devil knows this, folks. He knows it so stinking well. So here's what he does. He, listen, again, he, can't, he supplants it. He can't take away the spiritual gifts. So guess what he does? He takes away our time to use the spiritual gifts. You see it? That's what he's going to do. And he takes away our time because now we're so stinking busy giving our hearts, which takes time, to the things of this world. I ain't got time. How many times do you hear that? I'll say it again. Anybody glad that Jesus took the time to walk the road to Calgary, bruised and beaten and battered and frankly murdered on our behalf? I'm glad he took the time. And he said right here, you ain't got no guarantee, foxes, whole birds, you ain't got no guarantee, you ain't no financial future, there's no guarantees, follow me. I gave it all for you. But that's what the enemy does, he takes away our time, and on and on it goes until you got no time to serve God because you're too busy serving things, okay? And you tell me, folks, if he has not tricked the American church into this. Now, what I'm going to share with you, I'm not kidding you, I blew me away the first time I came across this statistic. This is the behavior, the activity of the average church member. Not just person who's just visiting, right, who's just randomly showing up. I'm talking the person who in theory says, no, no, I will now become a member that's right. I'm stepping up to the plate. I'm going to be serious. I'm going to really be serving, doing what God's called me. I want to be a benefit to the body of Christ. These are so-called members in mass across the American church. You tell me, they, man, they're seduced. Watch this. This is crazy. First of all, 10% of reported church members, they can't even be found. I hope they didn't get raptured because the rest of us are in trouble. <laughs> no, but they didn't get raptured. They can't even be found. 10%. These are church members, not goers. Members. I'm stepping up to the plate. 20% never pray. One out of every five person who calls themselves a church member somewhere in America, they never pray. Not once in a while pray. Not once in a blue moon pray. Never. Never. Can you believe it? 25% don't even crack open the Bible. No wonder they're getting duped up. Okay, 30% never attend church service. I'm a member. I'm serious, but I'm never here. 
<laughs> Are you serious? One third don't even go to church services. 40% never give to any cause. 50% never go to Sunday school classes. 70% never give to missions. 75% are never engaged in any church activity. Well, how are you supposed to fellowship? What was our opening text? Acts chapter 2. The people were there were continually, daily devoted to the word of God and prayer to God. And what? Fellowship. Hanging out with Christians. Godly Christians. Something's wrong. You've been seduced. 75%. It gets even worse. 80% never go to a prayer meeting. 90% never have a family worship. It's all an illusion. Like that guy, oh, that's right. Grab my Bible. I'm wearing my suit. I'll look Christian. But the rest of the week, you don't ever even pray with your family. You don't read the Bible. You don't do nothing. And listen to this. 95% of so-called church members never once, not one time, never once in your whole existence, not once did you ever lead one soul to Christ. Wow. Man, I don't know about you, but I'd say the American church has its priorities out of whack. Anybody? I would say that, man, somebody is doing a masterful job of distracting them, stealing away their time. I wonder who that might be. Folks, here's the truth. Christian, you may make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give in service to Christ. We need to be those people, whether we're here or out in the world, wherever we're at, we look for opportunities to intervene, to take the time to make a difference in somebody's life, in Jesus' name, like this guy did. This is awesome. Watch this. church that's how it's supposed to be taking the time to intervene 
meeting the need in Jesus' name affects people's lives for the rest of their life. There's also the element of you reap what you sow, what comes around goes around. And sometimes when we serve other people and help them in their time of need, God will use those people to help us. You know what that's called? Acts chapter 2. It's called the church. And I think it's that beautiful servant mentality that's so missing from us because we're so stinking busy. We ain't got time to intervene, whether it's out there, whether it's here. And this beautiful transition never takes place because we don't have time to serve. It doesn't just affect us. You see, we're also leaving an example for the generations below us when we don't serve, Christian, because we're so busy with the things of this world. And that example is very frightening. One guy says this. He says, go offer your employer what you offer to God. See how long you will last. Offer even your acquaintances what you offer to God. See how long they remain your friends. Offer your family what you offer to God. See how long you have a family. We get all excited about missions, but do you witness to the guy sitting next to you, your neighbor, your coworker, whoever, the guy that you get all excited about the things in this world, but what are you doing with the things we need to do here? Missions begins here. He said, if I were to hand out right now to you a piece of paper, and I were to say to each one of you, on the first part of that sheet, I want you to write down your calling and your ministry in this church. Then on the second part of the first page, I want you to write down everything you accomplished this year through your local church, serving and ministering in Christ's name. Then on the back, I want you to write your plans for next year, Lord willing, and how you're going to give away your life even more in the context of serving this local church and Christ and the nations. Now, for most of you, I'd receive back a blank page of paper. Why? Because the church growth movement guys got it right in this. 20% of the members of the church do 80% of the work, while 80% of the people do nothing. They just come and attend. Now imagine if I were your employer and you came to me and I says, okay, let's see your sheet of paper and I look at it as your employer and it says you've done nothing this year according to you and you have no goal and no desires at all for next year in this company. And you say, well, that's right, but every time the door opens of this factory, I'm going to be here. That's the mentality, he says, of the church today. Every time the door is open, at least I'm there, at least on Sunday morning. He says, you are not called to congregate in order to watch other people minister. You are called to congregate in order to be fed the word of God and to worship and fellowship and spend the rest of your week ministering unto the people of God for the glory of God. But don't you see all these activities? Exactly. If anything gets in the way of serving in the kingdom, even your right eye, pluck it out. If your right hand, cut it off. But I just got so many activities. Don't you see how you're raising your children? You carry them all over to play soccer and football and this and that. Lessons in gymnastics and everything else. But you're not teaching them to serve God. You're not preparing them for the day they will stand before God. You're making them just like you and it's terrifying. You want them to have educations and titles and this and that and play ball. But you don't know that your children are going to stand before God. And on that day, everything you have taught them is going to burn up in the fire. And they'll be left as a beggar and it will be all because of you. Because you got seduced somewhere along the line, Christian, into going back into this world. Oh, you started out great. But something swayed your heart and you became cultural again. And it didn't just suck you dry of your spiritual power. It began to destroy the next generation. That's how it happens. Instead of like we saw no, you just keep serving. Whether it's a guy who needs food or a kid whose mom needs medicine, you keep doing it. You may never see it till you get to heaven, but you are reaping a harvest beyond your wildest dreams. That's a significant life. That's what our kids need to see. That's what the next generation is waiting to see from us. What is more important, eternity or this world? The second sign to indicate when we're becoming a cultural Christian is when you long for the word of man more than the word of God. I mean, surely they're wise. Look at that guy. He's a professor. He's got to be super smart. He's got degrees on top of his degrees. He's got a degree growing out of his first degree from the second degree on the third degree. His IQ is bigger than my odometer. I don't care. The wisdom of man is nothing compared to God. I'll get to that in a second. You see, the second definition of the word cultural means this. To have an acquired taste, not just for the... Material things of this world, but the intellectual things of this world. 
right? And this is what the enemy does. He throws out the bait. He says, hey, listen, come on. Okay, you're getting into that Bible thing. You're praying. You're learning. You're growing, right? You're learning spiritual things. You're making a difference. All right. But hey, come on. You don't want to be labeled as one of those people you heard about nowadays who's not politically correct. I mean, you don't want to be labeled as intolerant. Yeah, actually, I do. Because Jesus, according to their definition, is the most intolerant one who ever lived on the planet. Because he had the audacity to say, John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. That's the most intolerant statement you could make today. But it's the truth. According to their definition of tolerance anyway. But that's what he does. And you might think, hey, listen, okay, so I'm trying to, you know, trying to get along with everybody. And they got their ideas. You know, they got their opinions, right? Maybe we should listen to them. Excuse me. You listen to nobody except the word of God. But that's a seduction. Oh, no, they've got to have some truth in there. We've got to listen to that. No, no, no. And the first catastrophe that leads is it keeps you from the truth of God. Right? Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it, right? Because that's, in essence, what you're saying. I'd rather hear the words of man than the word of God. Okay? But the word of God tells us, hey, it's a good thing, believe it or not, <laughs> when we hear the word of God, here's what it's useful for. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. How many times have we seen this? How much scripture? Just the New Testament. That old stuff uh, freaks you out. No. All scripture right, is what God breathed and is useful for what? Teaching and training in righteousness. Hurry, fast forward. It's the next slide, next slide. I can't, I can't. Because it wasn't just teaching and it wasn't just righteousness. What's the other 50% of the reason why? Uh, rebuking and correcting. How many of you guys, when you got up today, said, yeah, I can't wait, I can't wait. I hope this is the day. I hope it's the day that I get rebuked in church services. Correct me, spank me, God. woo I didn't say God did. When the word of God is preached, what should be happening to us half the time? You should be squirming. I didn't say God did. Now, is that bad for you? No, it's good for you. It's awesome. It's, 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 if, if you get out of line, don't you want somebody to get you back on track? Of course, and that's what we see here with the word of God. It's not just for teaching, right? It's for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, right, for every good work, right? So it's for our good, right? We want to be equipped, and that's what the scripture has to say uh, to you and I. It's not for our punishment. It's not because God's trying to ruin us, right? It's for our benefit. He knows, the Bible knows, God knows that, listen, God gave us his word so that we would listen, not just know what's wrong, so that we would know what's right. Every single one of his commands are what? For our bad? No, they're for our good. And it's when we submit to his word and his Bible and his truth is what keeps us on the road, the straight and because sometimes we get off track. Have you noticed that? But the word of God has a way of saying, rebuke, correct. And it gets us back on track. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad God loves me enough to get me out of the ditch. Anybody? That's what his word does. Yes, sometimes it teaches you. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yes, it's training in righteousness. I can be a better effective servant. Thank you, Jesus. But sometimes... But it's good because it keeps me on the straight and narrow. And the devil knows this, folks. Okay? Again, here's all he does is supplant. He can't keep the Bible away from the church. He's tried that for years, centuries. So he keeps the church away from the Bible. How? It could be right there in front of you. It could be being preached right in front of you. But you know what he gets us to do? Uh, like that picture. I don't want to hear it. Uh. I only come here for two of those reasons. You can teach me only happy stuff. You can teach me only fluffy stuff. But don't you dare talk anything from the Bible that will rebuke me or correct me. Then how are you going to teach the Bible when half of the time it's going to happen? And see, you, you, you think that's crazy, but you guys know. You go to your average church service today, what's going on? That very thing. And then churches cater towards it. All they want is to feel, listen, why? Because of the culture, I'm so stinking busy. I ain't got no time to serve God. I ain't got no time to read and pray and, and hang out with the people of God. I'm so busy running the rat race. Okay, I finally came to church services. You better have something good. You better have something to make me feel important. Build up my self-esteem. I've had a rough week. Hey, sometimes the word of God does encourage. Sometimes it corrects. But it's gone on so long, that cry of the cultural Christian, the churches are catering towards it. Two wrongs don't make a right. 
In fact, I believe that if many Christians could, cultural Christians, if they're Christians, they would have what's called a drive-through customized church service just for them. It probably looks something like this. Let's take a look. Trinity Unity Community Church of the United States. How can we feed you today? Hi, I'd like a 25-minute sermon and some upbeat worship music, please. Nothing too crazy, though. And I don't like to stand until the very end. Certainly. Please drive forward. Have a blessed day. No standing until the end, right? Of course not, sir. Here at FTU CCUSA, we get your order right the first time, every time, all the time, and on time until the end of time. Have a blessed day. Welcome to First Trinity Unity Community Church of the United States. How can we feed you today? Uh, can I get some children's ministry, please, with games? Lots of games. And, uh, can I have some movies, too, but please, no veggie tales because... Girls, I don't like the Veggie Tail songs. They get stuck in my head. Okay. Um. Then I like the multicolored fishy crackers, please, not the plain gold ones. We've got those at home. Okay, we've got those. We've got those. Um. And uh, a cry room. Do you guys have a cry room? Certainly. Okay. Can I get uh, a leather chair and surround sound, please, in my cry room? Certainly. Can I interest you in some of our John the Baptist gummy locusts for your children? No. Yeah, yeah. Girls, no. No, thank you. Have a blessed day. We want the new buddy Christ mom. Yeah, Welcome to First Trinity Unity Community Church of the United States. How can we feed you today? I need a parking spot. I need it not too far. Keep it out of the sun. I want donuts. I want them fast and fresh. Okay, how about two clapping songs and uh, a small group that only asks the get-to-know-you question? Certainly. Oh, and the greeters, I want them to smile, no handshakes. It's too close, too soon. Well, certainly. Can I interest you in some everlasting Jesus jawbreakers to help share your faith today? They're everlasting, just like our lives with Jesus. No sharing of faith. Yeah, I heard you guys were doing drive-thru confessions. That's correct. Well? Oh, worry not, my friend. You're forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Welcome to First Trinity Unity Community Church of the United States. How can we feed you today? Well, you can start by playing more Carmen songs. Mega Christ Church of Newport has one every single week. We can't even have one? You've got to be kidding me. This place is a joke. Their worship band would kill your worship band to praise off. Mega Christ Church <laughs> And people go to Mega Christ Church, so to speak. Why? Because they cater to this attitude, don't they? And the reason why that video is so funny is because what, folks? We know it's true. Okay. As we saw before, this really is people's mindset when they come to a church service and say, I'm so busy. Why are you busy? Because you're running after this world, aren't you? Oh, I get it. You got to eat. You got to work. I pay bills. I'm going to do all that, but it's never enough. And then what God supplied for you, you had to have more and then more. And then you get onto what? This thing called debt, which is an acronym which stands for dumb excuses for buying things. Right? And now you're a slave to that thing. And you got to get more because you got to have more money because you you're more in debt and you this and this and I, I ain't got time. And then you finally show up. <laughs> but I'm busy, man. I'm stressed out, wigged out. You better not preach anything convicting. You better make me feel good. And I want those John the Baptist gummy toppers. <laughs> Joey, we're not getting them to you, buddy. <laughs> You know, you know what's wild? That We're laughing about this because it's, it's, it's here today. It's all over the place. It used to be the abnormal, now it's everywhere. What we do is what's considered abnormal. 
which is called preaching the Bible, okay? But did you know the Bible that nobody wants to hear anymore actually warned about this behavior? How many times have we seen this text, folks? 2 Timothy 4.3, for a time will come when men will not put up with what? Sound doctrine. I don't want to hear the Bible. That's what he's saying. Instead, you got to keep the show going, though, right? Got to play the game to suit their own desires, right? They will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That passage of Scripture is being fulfilled before our very eyes, and it's not just sad. It's not just descriptive of what's going on. It's a major mega sign. We are living in the last days. That people come to services only wanting to hear the good. And if you don't give me the good, I'm out of here. And churches are catering to it. Folks, the American church is living a pipe dream if we think God is going to conform himself and his word to our culturally created desires. We are to be conformed to his image, not the other way around. And that happens when all the word of God is preached in its fullness and it's accepted and obeyed. This is a spiritual trap. The devil knows if he can get the American church to love what pleases man, what I want to hear more than the actual word of God, which all is for our good, even the correction part. then we'll never live a life that is righteous and holy and pleasing and fruitful and significant to Christ. He can't take away our salvation. He just takes away our one opportunity to do something for Jesus for all eternity because we love him. The second and final catastrophe from having a cultural taste for the teachings of man is it keeps you in the darkness of man. It just doesn't keep you away from the word of God even when it's being preached in front of your face. Mm you actually start to long for the things of man. And that's really where you spend the majority of your time. Let's expose that one, okay? And let's, first of all, compare man's so-called wisdom to God. Here's what God says about that. 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20, for it is written, I, God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. God says, I will frustrate. <laughs> In fact, compared to God and his word, where is the wise man, huh? Where are you so-called scholars, right? Where's the philosopher of this age? Come on, bring it on. Has not God made what? Foolish. The so-called wisdom of this world. The Bible says even the most brilliant words of man is nonsense in comparison to the word of God. And it isn't just nonsense. If it keeps you away from the word of God, it is poisonous, okay? And again, the devil knows this, okay? He not only keeps us away from the truth by basically saying, I don't want to hear the truth, Okay, but he moves to this other point. He says, well, listen, again, don't you want to be politically correct? Maybe that person has a point. Maybe you should listen to their opinion. And then slowly but surely, you care more about the opinions of other people, whether you want to maintain your popularity or whatever, I don't know. But you're more consumed about the opinions of man instead of the word of God. And you tell me, folks, if we haven't fallen for this hook, line, and sinker. Right? Look at the average Christian today. We're not tempted to go to the Father for wisdom. No, no, no. We need to go to our friends. No, no, no. We don't go to the Savior for wisdom. Here we go. We need to go to social media because we'll find out the latest live statistics as to what people believe and how they think about this aspect. Do they believe it? Do they think it's true? No. Now, you see, if you don't think that we're enthralled with that instead of the word of man, we better take a look at how much time we're spending on social media instead of the Bible, right? Let's take a look at that. 83% of Americans have a social media account. We're talking grandparents, we're talking kids, four years old. You're, they got their own account. It's just crazy, folks, okay? Now, 30% of all time spent online is just simply social media. Not ordering stuff, not research. 30% is just, I gotta go to social media. And it's growing out of control. The majority of time that's spent, 60% of it, is they're accessing it on what? Mobile devices. That's tablets, that's cell phones, things of that nature. Newer social platforms like Snapchat, Instagram are also competing. And people are getting on more and more because of those other ones. And accordingly, brands are jumping on the bandwagon. They're spending, listen, $36 billion this year alone in advertising. Just on social media. Not TV, not radio, not newspapers. $36 billion they're spending advertising on social media. Why? Because that's where everybody's at. Most bang for your buck. And it's going to get increased more as the platforms increase. In fact, teens now spend up to average nine hours a day on social media. How much time could you be in the word of God? How much time could you pray? How much time could you witness? How much time could you serve and make a difference in Jesus' name? Now, adults, we ain't doing much better. 
and we're getting worse. Okay, the average person spends nearly two hours on social media every single day, which, listen, translates to a total of five hours, four months of your life, if it never changed, but it will change because it's increasing exponentially. Five years and four months of your life is now just wasted on social media. Contrast that to eating and drinking. We only spend three years, five months. Now that tells you where the heart's at. Social media is now more important than just eating and drinking, which last time I checked, stay alive, right? And it's growing. In fact, it's been calculated the same amount of time of the average person, not even the teenager, this is just the average person, on social media, you could walk, if you just got rid of that, you could walk the Great Wall of China three and a half times, climb Mount Everest 32 times, run 10,000 plus marathons, or walk your dog 93,000 times. And my dog Brewster, if you've ever seen him, he could use that. <laughs> he's a whopper. He's a, he's a happy, plump wiener dog. But I love <laughs> Can you imagine that? Now, so not only would it benefit my wiener dog, but can you how much time could we be in the Word of God? I'm not talking, I've got to chop off 15 things to, in order to get back on track with Jesus. No, how about just one? How about just even cut it in half? You got time laying around all over the place. But see, we're more enthralled with the opinions of man. What do they say? What do they say? What's the statistics? Haven't you heard that latest poll? They said this. Now, speaking of social media platforms and mobile devices, because the biggest thing is tablets and cell phones, right? This is impacting churches today, right? Because believe it or not, I am, I don't know if you guys realize this, but did you know that I'm not blind when I come up here? And I, I would love to live in a Pollyannish pastoral world that would say, oh, looky there. They must be ordering pizza to arrive on time at 12 o'clock when I'm done preaching. That's what they're doing on that phone. <laughs> looky there. They are so in love with their pastor. They're so spiritual. They're going to serve him. They're going to have one of those drive up people to wash his car in the parking lot because they love him so much. That's what they're doing, right? No. I don't know what you're doing, but can I tell you? You're probably on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it. Flap, chap, chap, lap, lap, hap, hap, whatever is coming out next. I don't know what it is. Even in church services, you can't stop it. Now, can you imagine? And again, go back to just that one thing. I've got to make 15 adjustments. I, uh, no, just one. Can you imagine if we treated our Bible the way we treat our cell phone? What was the code word? What was the two things in the word of God useful for? Uh, rebuke? Yeah, here it comes. What if we treated our cell phones like the Bible? Let's take a look. What if our Bible were just as important as our cell phone? We treated it like we couldn't live without it. When we forgot it, we went back to get it. We had lots of gadgets to keep us connected to it. We always had it close by in case of an emergency. We carried it around in our purses and pockets. We checked it throughout the day for new messages. We were constantly going over our minutes every month. We made sure our battery never ran low. What would happen? Just that one switch. If we treated our Bible like we did our cell phone. My guess is, you would not like grow like gangbusters in your walk with Jesus Christ with just one adjustment. You'd have the time to begin to make a truly significant difference in this world. Like these boys did. Listen to this, true story. A true story about two Moravian young men who sold themselves into slavery. They, purpose, they were free, but they sold themselves into slavery so they could go to an island where there were only slaves so they could witness to them. 
Yeah, there was no turning back. There was no going to be uh, having a furlough. There was no like, well, I'll be back if I don't like it. They sold themselves to a slave owner so they can go witness to the slaves that he owned for life. And as they were pulling away from the dock on that boat, and their parents and the church family and everyone there standing at the dock looking at him, one of them screamed, they said, Shall not the lamb have the full reward of his suffering? And the guy says, Now that's missions. They counted their life as worthless so that the lamb might have the full reward of his sufferings. He says, Gentlemen, don't waste your life playing stupid little games. Just don't do it. Now, these two young men were barely out of their teens. Join them. Join them. And I'll tell you this right now. Some of you need to get off of Facebook. You need to get off all online and quit playing with people and talking and writing little things like you were a little girl. You need to become a man and you need to start doing things that Christian men of God do. This is important. Take your life and compare it to those two young men who sold themselves into slavery, cried out to their weeping family, shout out the lamb, have the full reward of his suffering. Stop this nonsense and become men. Act like men. Go out and die for something worth dying for. Go out there and live for something worth living for. Give your life to something. Don't waste it. There are children of God who have not heard the gospel of their salvation yet to be birthed. There are churches to be built. Quit all this other stuff. And if your friends are silly, goofy friends, leave them. Come follow Christ. Be a man. Walk with men. And if you know all the styles and fashions and cool things of what's going on on the internet and what's going on in the fashion and this and that and everything else, knock it off. Who cares? There's a job to do. Be a man. A Christian man. And make a difference for Jesus Christ with what little time we have left. Don't waste it. Folks, there's a job to do and it ain't surfing the internet. And being enthralled with social media, even to the point where I got to crack it open during services and look at it again. It's called the salvation of souls. And when are we going to realize that the opinions of man over and above the word of God is a one-way ticket to spiritual suicide? Rather than giving us a better life on earth, we have actually been tricked into wasting our lives on earth while other people go to hell. And so my question is, we close here today. I'm at, well, hey, man, what if that's me? What if, what if two out of the four reasons for the word of God got me? The rebuke and the correcting. <laughs> what do you do? Well, it's simple, folks. You do what God says. You need to repent. And you need to ask for God's forgiveness. And this is the great news. I mean, once you do, God loves you. If you're truly born again, you're his child, right? He's going to go right to work for you. He's going to turn you from that culture of Christian. Bang! Get you back on track and be that committed Christian, just like when you first got saved. And folks, a committed Christian is not that hard to spot. Listen, they'll not just love hearing the truth more than the opinions of man, but even when their sinful behavior got exposed, they'll own up to it, man, and run to Christ, admit it, and be set free. Like this guy. I'm going to close with this. This is a letter I actually got from a guy who got convicted back when I was pastoring in New York. And I'm going, wow. This is what he did and what he prayed to Jesus. Listen to this. He says, dear Lord Jesus, he said, I'm sorry for playing church instead of being the church, for trying to add you onto my life as an accessory or a life enhancement tool or a fire insurance policy. I'm sorry for giving you only two days a week and 10% of my money. I'm sorry for treating you as some sort of a dope dealer paying to get my religious high a couple times a week. I'm sorry for despising the blood of your covenant by continuing on in known sin. I'm sorry for sitting in front of a TV for hours on end instead of sitting at your feet putting my hand to the plow for your kingdom. I'm sorry for living a worldly life when you died to set me free from that. For storing up a little bit of treasure when you said that if any man served God, he would despise unrighteous mammon. I'm sorry for trying to play you as a fool. I'm sorry for using you as a means to advance and secure my own selfish ambitions in life as if you died to purchase the so-called American dream for your people. I'm sorry for mocking you in so many ways, like secretly trying to save my life instead of losing it finally, totally, irrevocably for your kingdom. I'm sorry for trusting in man, for sitting under a Protestant pope in an organization that's modeled more after Rome or corporate America than your true church seen in scripture. I'm sorry for sitting at fellowship nights and playing card games rather than weeping in prayer and preaching your gospel of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come to a lost and dying world. I'm sorry for taking ease in Zion rather than feeding the poor, feasting rather than fasting, acquiring rather than selling, playing rather than praying because of all these things, I admit, they are utterly detestable and disgusting in your sight. And for all these things, I repent. I humble myself, Lord, 
And I ask you, would you please help me? Come to me. Abide in me. To worship in spirit and truth again. And to bear much fruit to the Father's glory. Because you are so worthy. And he simply signed it in brokenness of heart. How about us? Did God convict you today? Convicts me. So would you, with all your heart, admit your sin and repent from becoming a cultural Christian? Offering up lame excuses, blaming other people, being distracted, having your time stolen away from Jesus? Or will you walk out of here completely unchanged? And head right back for the opinions of man and the things of this world. Because he sees it all. Folks, we better wake up and get our head out of the sand and realize we're in a war. The enemy's real, and he's not just really out there. He's really out there doing what he can to destroy us. We've got to stop being ignorant of his destructive means. There is a war going on, and it ain't just abroad. It's right here in our own country. It's a cosmic battle for the souls of men and women. The stakes are high. Millions of lives are at risk. And if we're going to win this war, then we, the American church, have once again got to shine for Jesus and take this serious. This is no time. There's never a time to become a cultural Christian. We've got to wake up. The alarm has sounded. We're under attack. It's the satanic war on the Christian. Don't let the enemy get you. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Alike Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name the Bible says under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin, then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, 
Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you can actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.